0: Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bocor. This is episode 46, recorded on January 27th, 2023. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, and thanks for joining me for this edition of the EV Revolution Show. As you know, my name is Ken Pokor, your host for this audio podcast where i always strive to find smart people around the world that are doing some wonderful things within the electrification marketplace and i'm very happy to have another person within that realm Uh, join me today all the way from the uk area i have mr james eaton he's the ceo of um, Ionetic, Ionetic, there we go, I got to get that right. Um, they are a dynamic UK startup specializing in electric vehicle battery pack technology. And they've launched a state-of-the-art EV battery pack uh, design platform, which we're going to get into with James. And one of their value or keys to success is that they can cut the development costs in time for automotive manufacturers bringing a new electric vehicle to market. And we know that that is a must now as people are waiting and waiting for EVs. James, a good afternoon for me. Good morning for you. How are you, sir?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: And thanks for joining me. I appreciate uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule. So it's a great time, as we were just saying before, pressing the record button to be in the electric vehicle marketplace. Maybe you could tell my listeners a little bit about, um, I know that you're a car enthusiast, so you're probably like myself, used to tinker, used to like to do things with uh, cars and like the sounds of a loud loud exhaust at times, maybe. You know, I try to shake my head now, going. those days yeah. are long gone. But, uh, you know, what uh, what kind of got you the momentum to get into creating the forming this company and getting to this market space?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you say, um, I am a big car guy for sure. Uh, ever since I was I was very young, I was always, always into cars. And you know, I was the kind of kid who would name every single car and model and everything as it passed by. I always get very excited to see to see, you know, the rarer cars. Um, and then I, I studied mechanical engineering uh, as a degree and got a master's degree in, in mechanical engineering and then uh, got hired to work in the battery pack research space at Imperial College London, where I did my my degree as well. And um was telling car companies how to make their battery packs better. And then I left that to form Ionetic and, and we launched at, at the very early stages of consultancy and we were just going to tell car companies how to solve. Yeah, specific battery problems, whether it's mm-hmm. make it charge faster or make the range longer. Um, but then we went out to car companies and we spoke to different companies and asked them what their problems were. And it turns out they all have quite, at least in the low volume market, um, they all have very similar problems, which is sort of summarized. If you have a 20 million pound vehicle development budget, it can't really cost 50 million pounds to develop a battery pack. Right. Um, so what we then did is we we pivoted, we dropped the consultancy thing. Now we've been squarely focused for uh, a little over a year now on trying to make battery packs cheaper to develop, trying to get more range into vehicles, trying to get charging faster and, and trying to get vehicles into production.
0: And so you guys design um, these bespoke uh, platforms uh, with the ability to customize it per auto manufacturer needs. Is that how I'm reading this?
1: Yeah, so we have we have the baseline platform, mm-hmm. uh, and what we do is we use software and hardware to get through design and testing really quickly. So we're tailoring our platform for what you need, whether it's a higher voltage, or you want uh, it to be this wide or this long, um, or you want you know fifty kilowatt hours in the vehicle, you want a hundred or four hundred kilowatt hours. So we can tailor all of those different parameters. Automatically using our software to create the best solution for you in terms of the the series and parallel and the number of modules and all those different parameters that can be varied.
0: Mm -hmm. And would you say that the electric uh, propulsion powertrain, including the battery pack, is probably the toughest part? Of a new startups, um, you know OEM goals to to build cars. I mean, you know frames and des- and automotive design they haven't really changed that much as different use of alloys and things like that. But I take it as you're saying that you saw that market potential in being able to provide expertise in more of the powertrain components. Correct?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, I think with this shift from combustion to EV, obviously the biggest change is the powertrain mm-hmm. um obviously a lot of other components are going to stay realistically quite similar but what we are seeing is we're seeing other changes like obviously you have to change how the vehicle frame is in order to package the new powertrain in a different way like having the battery pack under the under the cabin for example mm-hmm. or, or looking at um other sort of changes that we're seeing happening in the market, like suddenly we're seeing the average drag coefficient of all the cars come down because mm-hmm. we're trying to increase that efficiency and get more range. And that's never really been, or oh, no one ever felt the need to do that with ICE. So we're seeing these other changes mm-hmm. that are positive changes, right, that are happening to the whole vehicle system.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you point that out. So what was not really that important before, unless you were in the sports car Realm or racing or something like that, where drag coefficients, uh drag coefficients are very important. Now on an EV, they are much more important to overall efficiencies yeah. and being able to move the vehicle uh on as less power as possible through, you know, the given circumstances. So um going to, to the battery pack, I, I, you know, looking at your website earlier. So I know that you guys design for the OEMs, the right different solutions based on their needs, and then have the ability to build and manufacture uh, at some scale. Um, Can you comment a little bit, sorry, on um, what types of, um, uh, uh, you know, it looks like you're using cylindrical batteries versus pouch uh, and some reasons for those decisions?
1: Yeah. So, we, we plan to have sort of the full setup of battery packs. We plan to be able to do design testing and manufacturing. Um, we don't have a mass production facility open yet, but we plan to open one in the UK in, in the coming years to, to certainly help with the demand here and in Europe and in some cases in the US and, and North America as well. In terms of the architectures we've chosen. Currently, our, our first hardware platform is a, is a 2170 variant, so 21 millimeters in diameter and 70 millimeters tall, um, which is about three inches tall for, for the American or US viewers. Um, we chose that for a few reasons. Um, one is supply chain security um, because 2170 as a size has been adopted by a lot of different manufacturers. So there are a lot of different options there. Um, another is scalability. So we can really be flexible on module size and pack size by using that 21700 format. And another is energy density. Um, and we think with the right design, you can achieve more of an energy, a more high energy density um, with that 21700 platform versus a pouch cell, for example.
0: Oh, interesting, because I was going to talk to you about energy density. So that's an interesting observation that I had not heard of, that that um, type of uh, uh, cell environment is much more conducive to having better results from an energy density. Is there a reason why, without going too deep into the physics realm or anything? Um, I think there there's sort of a variety of reasons.
1: Um, Some are to do with sort of system design. Like, for example, with a cylindrical base pack, you can make really quite large modules. Whereas we look at the sort of average size of of pouch cell modules and it tends to be, you know, sort of orders of magnitude smaller. So take a a VDA 390 module, which is what the Porsche Taycan uses. It has 33 of those modules. Whereas one of our philosophies is we want to be able to have the least number of modules possible because that means a structural weight it means more of the weight we're putting into the pack is used for the energy and therefore the range and powering the vehicle so that's what also one of those reasons is like a system level you kind of you can achieve improvements through that that mechanism
0: interesting and, and it's a great point that you bring up because just recently in fact i think it was yesterday or the day before because i'm losing track of time with uh, time flying by so fast but you know we there was a news report that GM of course with the Altium platform and my listeners and watchers know that I'm, I'm I push GM quite hard um, I'm behind them I think that they're one of the one of the movers and shakers of the auto environment if they can do things right specifically here at the North American market space at least Um, they've got, they've, you know, they're all in all this kind of stuff that they've been saying for the last few years, lots of models coming out, but they announced out that now they're looking to move, potentially move away from pouch way in the future, but to start, you know, looking at, um, building another battery plant that would be based on cylindrical cell technologies and looking at manufacturers there, um, for maybe like an Altium version two or whatever they're, they're going to call their platforms. So would, in your opinion, would that be again, similar to what you said for some of those reasons why?
1: Yeah, I think we're seeing sort of an overall market trend towards uh, cylindricals for for a lot of solutions, especially high range solutions. I think if you want a lower cost and you're less um, sensitive on, on what range you want to achieve, then yeah, you know, something like a prismatic solution with with an LFP chemistry is quite a good good idea. But if you really want to maximize the energy in the space you have available and you're less sensitive to cost, then an NMC-based cylindrical solution seems to be the way the market's trending.
0: Great. And you know, you're you're leading all my questions quite nicely. We haven't planned this, folks. It's just the way the conversation's going. That's great. Because I was going to ask you what you're starting to see now for uh prevalent um chemistries. I know that chemistries are always changing. It's a moving target. It's a technology that's constantly evolving, right? The the gold nugget here is to be able to pack more energy density in a small, in the same or smaller area, you know, and, and, and with longevity and, you know, resistance to heat and resistance to cold and stuff. What have you seen? uh, You guys have been seeing as you transition into this manufacturing role and away from the consultative approach on chemistries that seem to be the ones that are going to stick around for a while. Um, that works for mean, consumers, I, I, I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I think for the for the next decade at least, we're, we're, we're going to stay with sort of solvent-based batteries, i.e. not solid state. Um, we're going to see uh, a lot of NMC-based um, chemistries with, with an increasing amount of nickel versus manganese and cobalt. So the prevailing... Uh, uh nmc chemistry right now is, is in an 811 ratio so eight parts nickel one part manganese and one part cobalt but we're going to see that going up to things like 911, 90.5, 0.5 and that trend go that way on nmc and then we're also going to see lfp stick around to those low cost solutions where where range is less important um and doesn't necessarily apply so much to um, the North American market or the European market, but definitely applies in developing markets or for city get around cars, right, for smaller vehicles. Um, in the future, we'll definitely see new chemistries come along. You're starting to look at solid state and semi-solid state, and those will provide step change improvements in energy density. But it's obviously critical that we have a route to commercialization and mass manufacturing for those technologies. And then when we look at future technologies in the really long term, looking at not just lithium ion, but looking at lithium air and lithium sulfur and looking at um, not just lithium, looking at manganese and sodium chemistries. And, and we definitely see, especially on the sodium front, the, a lot of traction growing in those in those departments as well.
0: And I know there's a lot of interest as well for some people that I've talked to in the graphene graphite area as well, incorporating that, um, again, to be able to my understanding is that would help to sustain higher charge rates. I, I know that there's a movement to try to get the battery packs, you know, the battery charging experience as close to a gas or petrol filling experience as possible, which is, again, a somewhat of a barrier to adoption, depending on who you talk to, where you are, what they're doing. You know, I say somewhat because there's a great financial benefit to going all electric, but some people don't want to wait 30 minutes, 45 minutes at a charger. Where they get this, you know, mentality is I just want to do a five minute stop and then I'm out of there. Um, is that part of that equation? Are you seeing, you know, chemistries trying trying to work to to bring those charging times down and be able to increase the charging speeds and not blow up, you know, not destroy the batteries?
1: Um, I, I think there's sort of two components here. There's one about the chemistry and one about sort of consumer behaviors generally. Um, so on chemistries, there's loads of different chemistries coming out that increase energy density, or, or I mean, we're sort of really getting into the electrodes here and looking at what you can do to an anode and what you can do to a cathode uh, in the battery to make it charge faster, safely, without a lot of heat generation and degradation, or increase energy density. A, a, a very popular example is adding more silicon into the graphite uh, to get more energy density in there. Um, but I think we're also getting to this point now where Consumers are starting to see that their relationship with their car actually needs to change a little bit. Like, never really before have you been able to get more energy into the vehicle at home. Whereas now, that's true, right? Now now you can charge at home. You can fill up the, the tank, as it yeah, were, your, your from your driveway. Doors. Yeah, And... When you look as well at what the ranges are of these EVs and the average driver in, on an average day, you can very much not ever need to go to a charging station or a petrol station. If if you're an, an average driver, in uh, at least in Europe, you're very unlikely to drive more than 20 or 40 miles in a day, which means you can go home at night plug into like the normal socket and you will be fully charged again by the morning comfortably. Um, And another thing we also need to think about is the capacity of the grid, which is another problem that needs to be solved is if you have these 300 kilowatt chargers and you have 10 of them lined up and they're all full, that's three megawatts, right, of, of power being put to that one small location. So we need to think about the grid infrastructure to facilitate fast charging we need to make sure that from a legislative perspective all the charges um have a mandated minimum downtime so that when you go to a charge point you know there will be a charger there it will be free and it will be working when you do need it so you build up that trust with the consumer but then the consumers also need to think about like what do you actually need from the vehicle now now we have this uh capability to to fill the tank at home uh, and i think when people see slowly how people truly live with evs they'll they will see that the actual necessity for fast charging is not as great as it's perceived
0: yeah it's a great point you know and it's interesting because you're you're predominantly speaking from you know a european perspective right much more dense lot, high populations less of a geography than we have here in North America you know it's not I could drive 18 hours and still be in the same province that I live in right Whereas yeah. 18 hours in Europe you're you're in five different countries so you know it's a yeah. different mindset but you're absolutely right it's something I, I I you know beat on people's heads in a nice way over and over again it's about that EV experience because people do get hung up on well there's a gas station on every corner but so I need a charger in every corner. And no, you don't. So yeah. absolutely great observations on that industry. Tying that back then to um, uh, Ionetic and, and, and what you guys are bringing to, to the value chain. Um, I know one of your claims is, be, is being able to help those, those OEMs. So maybe you could walk through um, kind of an example of you've got this startup or you've got this small OEM that wants to get into electrification, wants to branch out. Uh, how, do, how do what you do, um, how does that impact them to help them get to a faster time to market?
1: so there are different trade-offs you can make it in batteries in, in different ways you know you can you can have less power and have a lot longer life you can have a lot more range but that comes with slightly higher unit cost for the battery pack and what we do is when you come to us as a customer uh, when you come to us as a customer we look at your requirements we really try to to work out what makes the most sense for what your customers as the car company, what they need. And then we take our platform and we mold it for exactly what you want to achieve. And we can do that really quickly because of how we've built it up. Um, and then we go through the testing phase, we get all the certifications and then we're gonna put it into production yeah, in, in the coming years. If you're starting a, an EV program now, you're probably looking at 25, six, seven plus. Uh, in terms of when you're going into production. So what we can do with that is we can we can be faster if you need us to be. We can be cheaper than other options in the market. We're, we're much less of a project management headache, right? Instead of going to three or four or five different companies to get your vehicle from zero to in production, you come to us, we manage the whole thing. From day, day one to the day that that vehicle stops being sold on the market, which could be, yeah, twelve plus years away from now, maybe mm-hmm. longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I know so it's we a fifteen-year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, interesting. So, uh, what what do you what would you say as an average? Um, you know, re- reduction in that time to market. You know, the average cycle is five to six years, let's say, from an OEM that wants to, you know, draws a design on a napkin till something rolls out of production floor some of those have been sped up a little bit because of the inherent advantages that all electrics bring you with less moving parts you know the design that skateboard platform's easier to design around less parts Um, but you know you bringing your expertise to these oems are you able to trim you know one year two years typically what are you seeing uh, so far
1: um yeah i mean i think it's a great point that we're seeing accelerated development times um, I mean, if if you're starting, if, if you you know, for example, if you have five product lines, and you only have the resource to run through sort of one starting one year at a time, if you start now, you'll finish the fifth one in 2032, which means that you'll have not completed that cycle by the time ICE vehicles abandon the UK, uh, and probably soon in Europe if that if that is brought from 2035 to 2030. So what we really need to do is we need to bring everything forward and the car companies are acknowledging this and trying to bring their timelines forward to, to try and meet that 2030 target that's at least in the UK. And we're seeing it in, in some states in the US as so talking about 2030 target for um, banning the sale of com- only combustion vehicles. In terms of what we can do, um, again, it depends on who you are some people we're not the bottleneck um so some, some people just have a fixed three or four year timeline and if we could we you know if, we, if they wanted us to we could go faster but that's just the timeline for the other vehicle systems and the other um sort of things that need to happen to get a vehicle into production some customers are coming to us saying you know because of um because of xyz we had to delay From 2025 to 2026 or 2026 to 2027. And then we're trying, then it's a case of trying to work with them to bring that back to the original goal, to bring it back from 26 to 25 or 27 to 26. Um, So it's definitely possible. It's definitely possible, but it does depend just what you need as as a car company.
0: Absolutely. Um, So uh, great observations and and great insight as well to that. Um, What, in your roadmap to where you are, what would you say has been the biggest challenge? If you could narrow that down.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, like starting a company from scratch has a plethora of challenges, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's technological, whether it's, uh, you know, from a commercial perspective um there is just thousands of things to do Mm. all the time um i think in in terms of the biggest challenge um i mean it's probably the one that's ahead of us right it's probably it's probably going to be getting from sort of prototype production to gigawatt hour Mm. manufacturing capability um i think without wanting to name name names in the industry, uh, it's becoming clear now that manufacturing is as a bigger challenge or or potentially a bigger challenge than the design to get there. Yes. To get to the day where you can turn on the production line. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's probably gonna be what what is coming down the road, but obviously Mm -hmm. we're hiring great people for that and and sort of hopefully building some great technologies to make that um, as easy as it can be. Mm -hmm.
0: And just so I understand, um, the cells themselves, are you buying those cells from somebody who's making them, or are you manufacturing your cells yeah. as well? No, so we
1: we buy the cells from mm-hmm. our cell supply partners, um, and then we take those cells and we put thousands of them in a box, mm-hmm. um, hopefully better than anyone else on
0: Earth. That's there dream. you go. So with a nice BMS and a nice thermal management system and all yeah. the safety safeguards and all that exactly. kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, it's a great point. I mean, I, I, I do. um I did this uh, live call-in show on one of the radio stations a couple months ago, and it was interesting. A lady called in and said, "You know, I had, somebody told me that if I left my car parked um, and char- charge plugged into charge and it hit 100%, and I left it there, it would the batteries would explode." So, I mean, these are the kinds of this is the kind of stuff that's still out there from from consumers, right? I mentioned before. We went live here about about you know what i do what i do to try to help educate and create the awareness so people can understand and not go you know get sucked into that fud basically because there's a lot of misinformation out there um so you know people don't realize that you have to have safeguards there's regulatory you know and and governmental uh legislation that you have to follow for safety especially yeah. in automotive safety it's quite huge so yeah. um you know i know yeah. you guys make that claim too you're all subject to that right
1: yeah, I, I promise the uh, the sort of legislation certification <laughs> effort is not small. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you know you, you, we have to be honest. Like problems do occur in EVs. Like it's not like it's not like there's some perfect technology that's never going to have any issues. And I have no doubt somewhere in the world at some point someone has left a car on charge and for whatever reason the safety systems failed and it's caused a problem. But that, yeah, that happens once it gets reported in the media and everyone thinks all EVs do this, right? If you forget to take it off charge, they all go on fire. But this is completely not true. Uh, and you've got to remember what we're benchmarking against, right? It's like people suddenly have this opinion that all the EVs go on fire and ICE, ice cars never have this issue. But actually, if you look at the statistics, combustion vehicles sat on fire way more than EVs. If that's your concern, you're actually safer getting an electric car. And it's the same thing with safety, it's the same thing with mm-hmm. like rollover, right? EVs get exceptionally high scores for safety in crashes. Because they 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 have such a low center of gravity that they almost never roll over. And it's not a thing you have in ice cars. So I think that you know there's a part about media and perception of rare events. Um But yeah, there is also a part about customers understanding what it truly is to have an EV. I mean, one thing I get all the time, I don't know about you, is about charging ports and people think they're all different.
0: Mm -hmm. But there's
1: like some sort of like, there's 500 different plugs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And at least in in the UK and Europe, there is now one, there's one standard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know in in the US there's there's
0: two. um, Mm Yeah, CHAdeMO still still has a thin, thin life, but not much. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, ignoring CHAdeMO, which Mm -hmm. is sort of getting phased out in Europe and North America, you've got in North America, you've got CCS and you've got Tesla superchargers. Correct.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And in the in the uh, EU, you've got just CCS, Mm -hmm. but people still think they're going to go to charges and that there'll be the wrong plug. (laughs) But it won't be. So there's, you know, there's a part of education there as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you hit on some great points that uh, you're out there saying the same things I am about trying to, uh, you know, de- debunk and demyth uh, a lot of the things that are out there. Uh, certainly. Now, so your battery pack system is called ARC. And again, the, some of those advantages, you know, bringing that manufacturing and uh, design and expertise to OEMs to be able to get them to market faster to help size the right pack, have all the safety features, have, have the ability for long life, you know, uh, multiple charge cycles, all that kind of stuff. Are you able to talk about where you guys are are on the pathway for some clients? Are you close to starting to get to uh, being able to start manufacture for some clients in the near future? Um. I suppose it depends what you mean by near future and automotive <laughs>
1: okay. timelines yeah well you know near
0: future way. could be anything yeah
1: <laughs> yeah um yeah I mean we, we've got we've had I mean frankly a bit of an exceptional amount of uh, of customer engagement and interest oh, from from OEMs ranging from you know the biggest ones in the world down mm-hmm. to you know just a, a small team that wants to make 10 EVs mm-hmm. um and and everything in between. Uh, in terms of where we're at, you know, we want to start doing mass production in sort of 2025 for, okay, for some of the customers we're speaking to now. Not too far away. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, but equally, you know, some of the customers we're speaking to now have vehicle programs where they're not going to need that until 2026 and 2027. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just sort of the reality of automotive timelines. It's so even if we could deploy it in mm-hmm. A year, it, there wouldn't be anything to put down the line, right? Because um, you you can't turn around a whole car that quickly. Yeah. But in terms of us, you know, we're, we're going to really work closely with our partners to come up with with the best manufacturing solutions um, that work the best for the customers we have.
0: Mm-hmm. And and so far on this on this journey that you're on, uh, I know that one of your claims is obviously bringing the cost down. Uh, cost of production down how have you seen battery pack prices go down i know you know i throw some numbers around and and i've seen presentations where you know when the 2010-2011 leaf came out it was like two thousand dollars a kilowatt hour now it's you know um, buck 25 150 us somewhere we haven't hit that hundred dollar you know number yet and with inflation and supply chain and And global events that are going on over the last few years that, you know, we were hoping to cross that barrier, but obviously kind of ricocheted, maybe bounced up a bit. How have you seen that whole uh, uh, costing mechanism scale?
1: Yeah, so there's two parts to this. One is the cost to develop the pack, and then one is the cost to make one battery pack in mass production. Um, Our cost saving mainly attributes um, to that development cost and and how much we can bring that down versus going to a design consultancy and then a test house and a contract manufacturer. So we can really bring the cost down really significantly on that side. In terms of unit pricing, we're targeting low volume customers. And depending on who you speak to, we we can save them money on that side as well. Um, We've definitely seen that with some people. In terms of sort of looking more macro and not just at us, battery pack pricing has come down enormously. And, and with the exclusion of 2022, where it went up 3%, I think. Mm-hmm. Is it really um, okay? mm-hmm. I think it was 3%, maybe it was less than that. It was a very small percentage. Um, yeah, I expect that trend to continue of, of pricing coming down. Um, especially as we achieve further economies of scale, so not just as Ionetic, but as a sort of globe of, of battery producers. Um, as we see new technologies, as we see new chemistries, I think those those different things will drive the price down. As we see other companies grow their capacity, there'll be more competition and that will drive price down. Um, So, you know, I I don't want to put specific numbers on it, but yeah, I think we can certainly expect that we will be seeing the $100 per kilowatt hour price uh, point come up, especially in high volume in this decade, um, without a doubt.
0: Totally agree. And, you know, and and hopefully vehicle cost parity along with that at some point as well. Got two final questions for you. One, I wanted to chat about. The recyclability, obviously, that's a big proponent, you know, component. I get that a lot. You know, people go back to me, well, you know, coal plants are supplying electricity, and then these things are ending up in landfills, so it's not greener for the environment, really. And so I have to kind of answer those questions, uh, you know, by by what we know is going on with the science and what's going on with recyclability. But my understanding is that most of the modern packs now and cells are are in excess of 90 percent. Recycle and and even some of those minerals and from the cells themselves being reclaimable, be able to put back into into supply chains. Is that what you're you're seeing from your offerings as well, or will, you're planning for that? Yeah,
1: yeah. So there's sort of several several components. One one is about the the myth of where the electricity comes from. One is about you know recyclability, and then one is about sort of capacity of recycling. And um, to tackle recycling first. For us, we definitely consider it now. Um, but we, you know, you have to look through the lens of the packs we design today will not be recycled until 2040. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe, maybe yeah. further along. Yeah. So you you've got to think about that. You got to think about the advancement of technologies and where recycling will be. And we're already seeing some some really cool stuff coming out. Um, But people say, you know, it's not sort of commercially viable to recycle battery packs. And yeah, now it's not, right? Because there aren't really that many. But in 10 years time, 15, 20, 25 years time, all these battery packs will be coming into recycling plants and it will be more than commercially viable. It will be profitable to do recycling on battery Mm -hmm. packs. Um, So that capacity is going to grow as we need it. At least in, in the EU, um, it's I think it's now if it's not already a piece of legislation, it, it's coming that says all EV battery packs must be recycled.
0: Yeah, I so, think it's coming that's coming in North America yeah. if it's not already in some of the US stuff. Yeah, so there, I mean, that, that,
1: that that's happening as well. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be legislated that you have to recycle it and the recycling capacity will grow as it's needed mm-hmm. on what I think is a more important point is, is this perception that EVs are somehow bad for the environment if the electricity comes from coal. Now, I did this calculation because I get this comes up so often. If you buy in Europe a Tesla Model 3 and a Audi A4, right, so you buy a combustion vehicle and an EV vehicle, and then you go and drive them around Poland, which is uh, in their grid. It's I think about seven eight hundred grams per uh, kilowatt hour of energy produced of CO two. Mm-hmm. Um, in that scenario, in the most uh, one of the most polluting grids in Europe, those two cars produce an equal amount of equivalent emissions. In every other country, the EV is better. By or you know by multiples right in France it's like 40 grams per kilowatt hour in the UK it's about 200 grams per kilowatt hour so you're four times less if um, less emissions in the UK and whatever the number is 20 times less in, in France, but. What it really doesn't account for is the other factors like when you then make the grid cleaner, which we'll have to in the next 10 years, all the grids across the entire world in the next 10 years will have to become less carbon intensive. And with EVs, every time you make a 1% improvement to the grid, you also make a 1% improvement to transportation and the amount of emissions coming from transportation. So there's a double effect with EVs, whereas if you just improve the grid and everything's still combustion vehicles, you get no improvement there. But also, it it just is more efficient to have an EV in terms of total life cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, people say you're getting all these rare minerals from this place and that place. But when you bring in that recycling piece, we're actually not going to be doing that much mining in the future. Mm -hmm. it'll only be to top up the recycling yield. all the the minerals will become circular so this total life cycle assessment and even now if you do a complete total life cycle assessment an EV is about half um, of a combustion vehicle and that's only coming down more and more and more and more every day and then you can talk about like localised emissions right you drive around London or Shanghai or New York And Mm -hmm. all the particulate matter coming out of combustion engines that causes deaths and respiratory problems, that's all gone with EVs. Mm -hmm. So there are so many benefits. And I I really (laughs) think it's important that people know that this argument that if you produce all the energy on the grid with coal, it's somehow not better. Mm -hmm. It is. It is still better
0: totally agree with you and and you know you mimic a lot of the stuff that i talk about so we're both on the same wavelength you know a lot of the a lot of the conversations i have with folks i don't even go down the health benefits because we there's so much other stuff to talk about but You're absolutely right. There are huge health benefits. And then you can you can put tangible costs against that as well, as as some studies have done here, Uh, you know, 100% uh, corridors where there's urban uh, next to major highways, and you know, the impact, you know, uh, of that over over time, lots of uh, data there. So excellent points. My final question to you is something that I've been getting a lot recently, obviously, with you know, uh, I try to. I, what I say about the market right now is that we've had this piece of this supply chain pie over the last several years for for batteries and battery packs and cells and minerals and stuff that really only a few few manufacturers were, were digging away at, and all of a sudden now we've got triple or quadruple the number of people trying to get a slice of that same pie, and you know the slices are becoming smaller and it's harder to get any volumes. And one of the things that people hear a lot on the news is you know the lack of supply chain, and then, you know are we going to have enough lithium? Are we going to have enough nickel or cobalt or whatever these minerals are, you know, that we don't have infinite supplies of these either to power EVs over the next fifty years or so. What's your comment on that being somebody that's intrinsically involved yeah. in that?
1: Um yeah, and firstly, there is a bit of catching up to do, right? yeah, the the consumer demand is now massively outstripping what the supply chain is used to providing. Um, right. And that's just a practical problem, right? Like people mm-hmm. can build more mines and more lithium processing facilities, that, that can be solved. I think that the concern that there is not enough raw materials on earth, I think is also untrue. Um, okay. Well, I mean, I don't think it, it is untrue. There mm-hmm. are enough raw materials on earth to electrify transportation. Um, I think, People think it's we're going to just be pulling it out of the ground at some sort of constant rate continuously, but we will get really serious about recycling. Um, not, not just batteries, but everything. Like we need to really circularize um, consumer behavior, and I, I think that'll certainly contribute to that. So there are definitely enough raw materials. Um, there is definitely the practical capability to get them out of the ground, at least initially, and then there will certainly be the capacity to recycle them. So while there is a need to sort of scale all these different industries up, you know, scale up mining, scale up material processing, scale up cell manufacture and pack manufacture, um, that can all be achieved. And it can all be achieved on a timeline, hopefully, with the right amount of legislation and investment. Hopefully that's compatible with mitigating major effects from climate change. And that's really why we're doing what we're doing, right, it is we're really trying to add to the capacity uh, of battery pack production so that we can destroy carbon emissions over the next, well, seven years is our sort of target. But mm-hmm. over the next seven and 17 and and 27 years, all the way through to 2050. And I think all these problems are surmountable for sure.
0: Totally agree with you. And, and you know, one thing. Uh people a lot of people don't realize is that this transition to electrification is it it might seem that it's happening very fast and you know from you know from early adopters to you know looking at the second wave of the s curve and all these kind of issues yeah it, it is tend to it is picking up but it, it's a decades long transition when we map that out over a global environment right some countries like norway are yeah. almost there you know some are going to get there faster than others but when you look at the planet it's, it's a big thing to do there's i forget how many hundreds of millions of vehicles that are on the you know on on the roads today globally you know it's a big piece and. You know, last year EVs were seven million. 2022 were maybe 10 million. So we got a long way to go. So this is a slower transition. But I think to your point earlier is that you know you mentioned seven years and some of these this energy to get you know to really ramp up quickly, and that's where I where I beat up the OEMs because we do need that necessity to get there quicker, right? For a lot of the reasons, right? You know, we do need to act on climate change quick faster now why we have the ability to do so and continue to do so you know and that's why i beat up guys like toyota that are are still not really getting it you know they're they're kind of misleading in what they're doing from but but i get why so you're absolutely correct a lot of great information and a lot of great value how can folks find more information about uh, ionetics uh, stuff and what you guys do
1: yeah, I mean, follow us on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, go check out the website, uh, and you can keep up to up to date that way.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, I appreciate your time. I think I've run out of the questions that I've. Wanted to say, uh you know, smart guy. I'm glad that we had this call. James Eaton, CEO of Ionetic, UK-based battery pack uh, design and manufacturer for OEMs. Hey, you know, if a listener's out there and wants to start bringing 10 EVs to market, like you said, yeah, uh, sure. reach out to James. You know, and they'll give you a hand and, and make things a little easier for you.
1: Yeah, we're all, always open to uh, to cool projects for sure.
0: Exactly. And if I ever get a chance to get back out to the UK again, I'll uh, let you know. Maybe we'll grab a cup of tea or coffee and and chat. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Very interesting. And wish you guys all the best of success in your marketplace. You've got a great um, plan that I see moving forward and, um, you know, all the best for you guys.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: You're quite welcome. Thank you and have a great day. You too. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com follow me on twitter at evrevshow i'm also on instagram evrevolutionshow and if you uh, have any suggestions for shows please let me know thanks again for listening and please everybody stay safe and until the next time i'll see you when i see you